I'm excited to get into the Word this morning. We are going to talk about a topic, I suppose, in many ways that maybe isn't talked about that much anyway anymore, at least not that I can, can't remember the last time I heard a sermon on this, but it's important that we're going to talk about the Ten Commandments today. It's where we are in our series in Exodus. Exodus chapter 20, God gives his people on the mountain. He's shown his glorious, holy presence. And he comes and he speaks to his people these ten words that, that we know as the Ten Commandments. And passages like this and others that go on to talk about the law of God really raise the question in our lives as how does the law relate to our lives today? How does God's ten words speak to us still today? Over the years, people have taught a lot of things about the law. Some of it good, some of it maybe not so good, and, and some of it very, very dangerous. From the very beginning of the church, the apostles warned again and again about the errors relating to the law. On the one hand, they preached against a legalistic approach to the law, a works righteousness approach to the law that sees the law and says, man, if we're going to just keep the law and maybe we'll add a little Jesus in here and then, then I can be saved. But the apostles taught that we're saved by grace alone, that it's all what Jesus Christ has done. In fact, Jesus fulfilled the law that we never could. On the other hand, there were people then, as there are today, who kind of figured, oh, grace sounds good. Maybe now that I've got the grace of God, I can just do whatever I want to do with my life. And so there were those who just thought they could do whatever. Maybe sleep around, go to the prostitutes, do, do anything. Live their lives the same as they did before. But the grace of God changes people from the inside out. God's love is so great that he not only saves us from our sin, but he takes us and he sanctifies us and enables us to live a godly life, to become like his son as we grow to understand his grace. We grow to become like Christ. And so it's important to understand the law's place in our lives. That we would not 
turn aside to think that the law can save us, but on the other hand, to recognize that God calls us as his people and enables us to walk in a way that is is pleasing to God. That's a big topic. But today we're going to highlight four principles for understanding the law of God and how it relates to us today. And this is important because what's at stake is the gospel. The first two principles we're going to talk about are found in our passage this morning, Exodus chapter 20. And in other passages of scripture as well. And then the final two principles, we're going to turn to the New Testament and consider the lost place in our lives today. I'm going to just list off these principles now and and we'll repeat them as we go through the text. We'll just read them off for you right now. The first thing that we're going to see, the first principle is that the law's foundation is the authority of a gracious God. The law's foundation is the authority of a gracious God. Second, the law's purpose is to reveal our need for faith in God. You understand that? The law's purpose is to show us our need for faith in God. If we think when we've read the law, I can do it, we didn't read it rightly. That's, that's what this point is getting at, okay? The law's purpose is to reveal our need for faith in God. Third, the, the law is fulfilled in Christ. He has fulfilled the law. And the law is fulfilled in us through faith in Christ. So the law is fulfilled in Christ. And fourthly, if we were to sum up the law, the law is summed up in the scriptures as love for God and love for others. So we're going to talk about each one of those in turn, beginning with the law's foundation. We'll read Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. These two verses establish the origin of the the ten words, the ten commandments that God gave. Who spoke these words? God spoke these words. He is the law giver. What are we told about this God? Well, first, we see his authority as God. 
that He is Lord. That is the word Yahweh in the Hebrew. He is Lord Yahweh. That is, He is the eternal, unchangeable God who always was and always will be. That's what God's name Yahweh means. He's this awesome God, the Lord of the universe. And the Lord of the universe has come to declare his righteous standards. And so coming from the Lord, we see that these ten words are authoritative over our lives. They are good. They are true. We see the authority of God. But we must not miss this. The second thing we see is that the Lord God highlights His grace towards His people. He declares, I am the Lord your God. And what did, I, what did He do? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is the grace of God towards unworthy people that he chose to redeem them out of their slavery to sin and death in the world. And he brought them out by his grace. When we look at the law, we see that before anything else, what we need to know about this God who gives his law is that he is a God who holds all authority over all things. And he is a God of far greater grace than we could ever imagine. This is the God that the scriptures call us to love and to know and to worship. His authority as king and his grace as savior forms the backdrop for why the law matters. It matters because he matters. Matters because he is the Lord and savior of his people. So when we reject the law of God, we are rejecting the giver of this law, the God of all authority and all grace. That brings a seriousness to the breaking of the law. But also wonderful hope when we know the law's fulfillment in Christ as we'll talk about in a moment. To know that God's Sovereign grace is upon us, not because of ourselves, but because of who he is. So it's that foundation of who he is that we consider in the first point, that the foundation of the law is, the, is in the authority of God and the grace of God. I think you can remember that. 
Think on that. What's the law's foundation? What's the first thing we're told about God? First things, I should say. Rescuer. Rescuer. That is right. He is a rescuing God. God of grace. Is it God? Who is sovereign? Who has authority over all things? Well, if you would turn with me, we're going to consider our second point, and we're going to turn to the end of Exodus chapter 20. Maybe just a page over in your Bible. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 18. We considered the law's foundation. What's the first thing we're told in regards to the lawgiver? And now we're going to consider at the end of the giving of the law, the law's purpose. Verse 18 of Exodus chapter 20. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. Now the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So God has given his law and the people's response is they're terrified. Maybe they were thinking, this isn't what I bargained for. This isn't what I signed on for. Um, when, when they looked at not only the presence of the holy God, but his righteous demands, they were terrified. What can we do in light of a holy God and his perfect law? I love Moses' response to the people. First thing he says is don't fear. That's an encouraging way to start. Many, many times in the scriptures, angel or the Lord in the vision says, do not fear. But Moses goes on and he says, God has come to test you. Here's why you're not to fear. God's testing you. So that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. Almost seems contradictory, doesn't it? Don't fear because God wants you to fear him. But why does God want them not to fear, yet to fear. 
so that they would not sin. God's purpose, his desire is that they would fear his wrath and come to him for mercy. That they would turn from their wicked ways. That they would love and serve him and draw near to him. The law's purpose is to bring us to a place of fear so that we would turn from our sin to the Lord. Because where else can we go? Now, instead of turning from their sin, instead of trusting in their holy and gracious God, we're told that the people kept their distance. They stood far off. In that moment, they did not trust him. But on the other hand, we have Moses drawing near as a picture of faith in God. Ultimately, as a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, our mediator, through whom we can approach God because he is holy. Because he obeyed his father. Moses here has the right kind of fear. The kind that leaves us with no alternative except to turn to the Lord. To trust in the grace and mercy of God when we know that in and of ourselves, there is no way that we can approach Him. We look at the law and we think that we can do it. Then we've read the law wrongly. But equally, if, if we look to the law, and we give up. That is not the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was to show the people of God that they needed him. And that they could come to him. And he would show them mercy. That he would make a way for them to come before him. That he would cleanse them from their unrighteousness. They would trust in him. In Romans, Paul's letter to the church in Rome, Paul talks a lot about the gospel, 
And he talks about the law. And we talked about this last week where God says in in Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, that by works of the law, no one is justified or declared righteous before God. That God the judge, when he looks at our lives, will not say on the basis of our works, on the basis of our keeping the law or doing good things, he will not say that we're righteous because we're not. That the whole world, in fact, is held accountable, held as guilty before God. So the law exposes our sin and it leaves us without excuse. But here is why. That we might turn and trust in God. That we would know that there is no excuse. And that the only way that we could ever hope to have salvation is to turn from our sins to God. The law shows us our sin so that we would see our need for faith in God. That's the second point. The purpose of the law is to show us our need for faith in God. So we have the grace of God. We have his sovereign authority and grace at the beginning of the giving of the law. And we have this call to trust God. This reminder from Moses that the people need not fear if they would trust him. And hope in his mercy. And in between we have the law of God. We're going to turn to the New Testament and consider how do we understand these ten words that God gives in light of what God has revealed in Jesus Christ. The first point, actually our third point, but is... uh, that the law's fulfillment is in Jesus Christ. We've already seen there's no way that we could fulfill the law, that we could keep all its demands. But the fulfillment of the law is in Jesus Christ. This is Jesus' expressed purpose in coming to earth. When Jesus was asked about these things, asked about the law, he said in Matthew 5, verse 17, I did not come to abolish the law. I did not come to destroy it. But here's what he came to do. He came to fulfill it.
came to fulfill all righteousness. So everything that we see about Jesus, his teachings, his sinless life, his atoning death, his victorious resurrection and ascension was a fulfillment of the law. He is the embodiment of the righteousness of God. Perfect in every way. The author of Hebrews tells us that he is such a great high priest because he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. It is only through Christ's fulfillment of the law that we might be saved. Paul in Romans chapter 5 speaks of the one man, Adam's disobedience, that led to sin and death for all mankind. But through the one man, Jesus Christ's obedience, we might have life in him. It is because Christ is the fulfillment of the law that we have hope today. That we can know the grace and the mercy of God. And so we read further on in Romans chapter 7 and verse 6 that to those that, that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who accept that he is the fulfillment, not me, not you, that he is the fulfillment of the law, our only hope. Romans 7 verse 6 says, but now we are released from the law and its demands upon our lives, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. And if you turn over to Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, we read, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? How can we say that? There's no condemnation. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. These verses are amazing to me. 
Because they teach us that in Christ, through what he has done, and his love toward us, well, we were sinners, enemies, haters of God. That through him, we've been released from the law. Instead of being condemned, we are given the righteousness of God in Christ through faith. That it is not of what we have done, but all of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. That we are gifted his righteousness to our account. For he took our sin and shame and guilt and bore it on the cross. He took the curse of the law so that we might be released from it and now serve God under the new way of the Spirit. Now serve the Lord through the grace that He's given us and the Spirit in our lives. This is amazing. This is so freeing to know that it is not of what we do. That Christ frees us. And he frees us so that we can now serve him. And love him. With a new heart. But it does raise a question. If we serve in this new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code, what do we do with the Ten Commandments and all the other commandments in the law? How do we then go back and read these things? First thing we can do is see how Christ fulfills the law in every aspect. And if you would search the scriptures, Jesus said that it all teaches of him. And so it is a wonderful thing for us to look back on the law and see the righteousness of God in Christ. As he lived his life, as he died, and he was the sacrifice that was foretold. And we could go on and on and on in talking about these things. What about in our own lives? But the New Testament describes our fulfillment of the law through Christ. Remember, it's always through Christ. We can never hope to keep any of it apart from him. And the New Testament gives us these principles for understanding the law. When Paul taught about giving in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, he taught us principles. Um, like giving 
as you purpose in your heart. And giving as God prospers you as he enables you to give. This is getting to our hearts. Rather than appealing to regulations about tithing. Paul appeals to the law that is written on our hearts. When Paul taught about keeping the feast of the Passover, he interpreted that and he wrote to the Corinthians that it was with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth that they were to keep the Passover. So he's saying it's not about actual bread here. He's saying it's about sincerity and truth. When we come before God and we worship him, that we worship him with sincere hearts. That we worship him according to the truth. When the author of Hebrews wrote about the Sabbath, he said that those who believe in Jesus have entered the Sabbath rest. When Peter wrote about the priesthood, we talked about this last week. He refers to all Christians as priests of God. When Paul wrote to the Colossians, he wrote about a circumcision that wasn't a, a physical circumcision, but a circumcision of the heart that takes place in the life of a believer when they place their faith in Christ. He says, we died with Christ and we now live with him. Colossians chapter 2 verse 11. All these examples I bring forward to help you to see that the specifics of the law were never put forward in the new covenant. And this is because the reality to which they pointed has been met in Jesus Christ. All these things, the Passover, the Sabbath, the priesthood, the circumcision, is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so we are told in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. All these things pertaining to the, the written code of the law. For he says, these are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So these things are a shadow that point to the embodiment of the law. The reality that is in Jesus Christ. It was never about keeping the law to be saved. It was about pointing the people of God to Jesus Christ. And their need for faith in him. All these things point us to Jesus who did not come to abolish the law 
but to fulfill the law. Sometimes I think it's hard for us to understand or to think about how is it that, what does it look like or what does it mean that the law is fulfilled and that it's not abolished? I was thinking of, of a bit of an illustration. Like no, no illustration is perfect, but I think that this helps us to see what Christ has done. If we're to compare the, the first covenant to, a, let's say, an acorn, that's the seed of an oak tree, right? You plant it in the ground, you water it, hopefully what comes out. We hope to get an oak tree out here. They might be really small. Vanita has a little oak tree on her property, and it's still pretty small. But you know what? Out of that seed comes that oak tree. When the scriptures speak of God, Jesus fulfilling the law, it's like planting that acorn in the ground. Instead of smashing it to bits and seeing what happens, that's not going to do anything. What God in Christ does is in his death, the law the written code is buried. In that sense, it's, it's died. But out of that is the new life of a new covenant community that is rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and what he has done. Because if he had not fulfilled the law, we would have no hope today. And so we recognize that acorn and an oak tree, they are different. And we're going to look at parts of the law and things in the New Testament. And sometimes we might go, look at how different this is. How do I understand it? But they're not only different. Because that tree, that new covenant, fulfills the purpose of the first. So when we look at the law, we look to see the ways in which it is fulfilled, which it is brought to, to fruition, to life in Christ and in our own lives through faith in Jesus. And so when we look at the Ten Commandments, we're to interpret them in light of the new covenant. Because we live not by a written code or a list of rules that you follow to gain righteousness. We live by the new way of the Spirit. The law written not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of our hearts. When we look at the New Testament, we begin to see that the underlying issues behind the, the first covenant 
and the laws given by God. The underlying issues are matters of the heart. So, for example, if we were to take just one commandment, and I would invite you to do this with them all if you're able, but if we were to take the commandment, you shall not murder, how does the New Testament interpret this for us? How are we to understand it? Jesus, in that same passage in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, the same passage where he said, I came to fulfill the law, said that anger towards someone was at the, the root of murder. When you really get down to the bottom of it, our anger towards someone and their unwillingness to forgive them is as though we've killed them in our heart. And James... One of the apostles writes in James chapter 4, he's, he's looking at fights and quarrels and wars, and he sees at the root of these things that we are responding wrongly towards our frustrated desires. When we don't get what we want, we fight. In both of these cases, these are getting at the root of murder. What's going on in our hearts? Because God is not after an outward change, a little bit of conformity so that you look good to those around you. He's after a change from the inside out. A change in our hearts. And so we're told that if we confess our sins, if we acknowledge that, that we're wrong and God is right and we need help outside of ourselves to change us. Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the promise given to us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, God is after heart change. He wants us to love Him with all of our hearts. And through Christ, He is making us new. So when we look at the Ten Commandments, we consider the heart and how they are explained in the new covenant. And so to go back to some of our earlier examples, the issue with circumcision was about a heart change. And when Paul taught about giving, he was concerned about their hearts. And that out of the overflow of a heart changed by the love of God, comes generosity so that it's no longer about just because the law says it, I got to do it. But it's because we've been changed by the love of God in Christ.
We've been talking about a lot of things. And so I just want to invite you, if you have questions or concerns, I want us to to talk about them. Raise those questions. Talk to me afterwards if you like. Because I myself want to better understand the relationship between these ten words and my life today. That my life would be reflective not of trying to keep the written code of the law, but would be desiring to love God out of a heart that's been changed by the grace of God. So we've talked about the law's foundation, the law's purpose, and the law's fulfillment. I just want to briefly raise for us the law summed up in the scriptures. We could get lost reading the Old Testament, looking at this law and that law and the other law. But the scriptures sum up what the law is all about. If you really want to get to the heart of what is God saying when he says, have no other gods before me. And don't commit adultery. Or don't steal. Or keep the Sabbath holy. We look no further than the words of Jesus. When he was asked, what are the most important commandments? How should we understand what to do? In Mark chapter 12, verses 29 to 31, Jesus said, the most important is, here O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Other New Testament passages, Romans 13, verse 8 says, The one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Galatians 5, verse 14, The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. When James, in James chapter 1, sums up the the law of what is pure and undefiled religion, what does he say? Take care of widows and orphans. And keep yourself unstained from the world. All of these passages and and many others. Sum up our responsibility as God's people. Our calling as those who have been changed by the grace of God. To love him and love others. And so throughout the New Testament we're given examples and principles to to understand how we are to love our brothers, our enemies, and most of all, our God. When we look at the Ten Commandments, 
It's often been pointed that they, the first four commandments are connected to loving God. And the, the final six are connected to loving others. So even within the structure of these ten commandments, we see God's intent, God's heart for his people is that they would love him and love others out of that love. Why? This again goes back to his grace. That he loved his people. And he brought them out of Egypt. Out of slavery. So whatever commandments we're thinking about. Whether it's the commandment number two, not making idols, or commandment number seven, thou shalt not steal, we're getting to the heart of the commandment. When we see that it's about love for God and love for people. Because of the love that God has shown us. This is only possible because Christ first loved us. I just want to leave you with this. When it comes to the Christian life, whether we tend towards trying to keep the law or wanting to do, to go our own way and just do what we want to do, neither of those ideas have a place in the life of a Christian. Those that belong to Christ, who, who are secure in Him, we're saved by grace alone. And we stand as those who are not condemned. There is no more work to be done, for Christ has done it all. God, by His Spirit, longs to change our hearts. And He will change us because of His grace. Look to Jesus, and you will see the law's perfect fulfillment. Follow him, love him, and you will know life.